We're reading now from the scriptures of the Old Testament. And uh, if you receive the church Bible as you come in this morning, uh, you'll see from the order of service that we are turning to page 16 in the church Bible. Uh, page 16 in the church Bible. We are presently um, studying the life of Abraham, a man who lived 4,000 years ago and 2,000 years before the coming of Jesus. And yet this man saw Jesus and this man knew Jesus as his own saviour, just as you and I do today. He didn't have as much knowledge as we had, but he did have a real, living, personal faith. And this morning we're reading Genesis chapter 16, and we're reading about a situation that developed in the family of this godly man, Abraham, and his godly wife, Sarai. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. 
That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Amen. Laurel and hearty. Uh, and uh, you couldn't get better, uh, cleaner fun than Laurel and hearty. And there is a line in Laurel and Hardy, uh, which Oliver Hardy speaks to Stan Laurel um, again and again uh, when things go wrong. Well, here's another nice mess you've got me into. Here's another nice mess you've got me into. We are studying the life of Abram, and we have reached Genesis chapter 16, page 16. And here Abram and Sarai have got themselves as believers into another nice mess. They have been unable to have a son themselves, despite God's threefold promise that they would. And there's a huge gap, as we saw last time, between what they know of the promise of Christ and the reality of their experience in everyday life. And so this couple come up with their own solution. Abraham will sleep with Hagar and seek to obtain the promised son through her. And the solution that they come up with is widely practiced in society of that day. It is perfectly legal. Uh, the only problem is that God's word forbids it. It's an act of unbelief and disobedience. And Abraham actually is entering into a second marriage while his first wife uh, is still with him. Hagar is now pregnant with Abram's child. She becomes haughty in her spirit. And Sarai, for her part, feels rejected. Abraham, he washes his hands of the situation and he stands back and lets Sarai take control. She entreats Hagar and Hagar flees from her mistress, Sarai, and from her husband, in effect, Abraham. Another fine mess that two believers have got themselves into. And you and I as Christians, we get ourselves into a fine mess when we try to solve life's problems in our own way. Without reference to Christ, without faith and obedience in Him. The question that we want to consider this morning is this. What happens with Abraham and Sarai? And when you and I make a mess of things as Christians, or perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
and your life is a fine mess. Is the Lord Jesus a prisoner to our schemes and sins? Is he rendered powerless by our faults and failures? Can he only work in our lives if we let him? Or if we get everything right? It's Christ's force to stand on the sidelines until you and I as believers and Abraham and Sarai come to our senses and we begin to sort things out ourselves. Well, the rest of Genesis chapter 16 from verse 7 on answers that question and addresses this scenario. And here we have a record of Christ's response to Abraham and Sarai as believers, to Hagar as an unbeliever, when they've all together, all three of them, made a fine mess of things. Christ doesn't stand by helplessly, nor does he wash his hands of people who mess up big time. No, he intervenes. And this morning, as we come to this section in the life of Abraham, our theme is living by faith, Christ brings good out of evil. Christ brings good out of evil. And I want us to notice four ways in which he does that. If you want long headings, uh, you've got the whole line. If you want short headings, then it's finding Hagar, subduing Hagar, assuring Hagar, and accepting Hagar. But let's see how Jesus Christ brings good out of evil by finding Hagar in her affliction. Finding her in her misery, finding her in her suffering. I want us to put ourselves for a moment in Hagar's shoes. Think of how she's been treated by Abraham. She is pregnant by him. Not because he loves her and she's the wife of his youth, but because he has, is using her for his own ends, to have a son. And this girl, Hagar, rightly feels betrayed by Abraham as he stands back and washes his hands of the situation that he has contributed to. Hagar is also suffering affliction at the hands of her mistress, Sarai. If you go back to verse 6, we read, Then Sarai ill-treated her. And that's a very mild word. The word in the original is, Sarai afflicted her. Heaped pain and suffering on this woman's life. It's a very strong word that's we've met it already in Genesis 15 verse 13. Remember God said to Abraham, your descendants in 400 years time, they're going to go down to Egypt and they're going to be enslaved and they're going to be afflicted. Well, what did that mean? Well, Exodus 1, verses 11 and 12 tell us. Because here we have Abram's descendants in Egypt. 
and they're slaves and they're forced to gather straw and make bricks and build cities for the Pharaoh. They're forced in labor. And so this word, afflict or ill-treat, it means to abuse. It means to misuse, to treat harshly. So there's the experience of Hagar. And that's why uh, we can say that here is a woman who is experiencing affliction. She experiences affliction because of the sinful actions of Abraham and Sarai towards her. Two believers and what they had done to her. Let's ask ourselves this morning at this point what is your situation in life? Is life hard? Are you passing through affliction? Are relationships difficult at home, at work, in the church, with a neighbour, perhaps with your spouse? Perhaps, children, you're going through a difficult phase in your relationship with parents. Or perhaps someone else in your family has ill-treated you. Others have done wrong by you. Or are doing wrong by you. And your affliction is perhaps due to the actions or words even of other Christians. But we would be wrong to lay blame for Hagar's affliction only at Abraham and Sarai's door. Or even chiefly at their door. Is it not the case that Hagar brings this misery, this affliction, on herself? By her own attitudes, her own words, her own actions and reactions. After all, how is she pregnant? She's not pregnant because Abraham and she have slipped away behind Sarai's back and slept together. No, she is pregnant because Sarai has taken her with Abraham's consent and given Hagar to Abraham. And she is bearing, Sarah expects, the child, the son that will be Sarah's. And so we would expect Sarai to treat this woman well. Why then is she treating Hagar badly? What is the cause of that? Well, look at what we saw last time in verse 5. Now that Hagar knows she is pregnant, she despises me. You see, Hagar, in this situation of being pregnant now with a, with a child that Abram so desperately is looking for, that Sarai can't provide, she begins to think, I'm better than Sarai. I'm more important 
And she becomes proud and boastful and arrogant in her attitude and hurtful in her words and demeanor towards her mistress. And Hagar forgets her position. And she wants to be Sarai's equal instead of Sarai's maid. Indeed, she wants to be, I believe, Sarai's mistress. So Hagar explains his affliction not just because of what Abraham and Sarai do to her, but also because of her own sinful actions and attitudes and words. Let's again pause there to ask ourselves the question. What is our situation this morning? Is there affliction? Is there misery? Is there suffering in our lives? Perhaps we, immediately, as we think of that, we think of people outside us who have contributed to that and caused that. But do we ever stop in the midst of affliction to ask ourselves, might I myself be the cause of some of my affliction? Might I have brought some of this upon myself by a wrong attitude or a wrong word or a wrong action or a wrong reaction? By pride, by failure to respect another person or a parent or whoever. So this woman, Hagar, is an affliction. But where is God? Where is Christ in this messy situation? Well, look at what it says in verse 11. For the Lord has heard your misery. Again, it's the word affliction, the same word as we had there in verse 6, where we talked about Sarai el her. The Lord has heard your affliction. Christ sees the situation this woman is in. He sees what has happened to her at the hands of Abraham. He sees what has happened to her at the hands of Sarai. He sees what she has brought upon herself. And he hears the cry of anguish and pain that comes from this woman's heart. The Lord has heard your affliction. And then look at what he does. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord, as is Christ, found Hagar. He found her. And where is she? She's in the desert. And she's lonely. And she's tired. And she's in danger. And she's weak. And she's vulnerable. And she's actually on her way back to Egypt where she had come from. And she's fleeing and she's running away from Abram's house. And Abram's house is the place of grace and blessing. So she's running away from the place of grace and blessing to a place of unbelief. She's going further astray. But what happens? The angel of the Lord 
the Christ appears to her. He tracks her down. He finds her in her affliction. In her wilderness. Are you in affliction this morning? At the hands of others? Are you in affliction this morning because of your own actions? Has God recently put a Christian in your path? Has he brought you somehow under his word and under his salvation? Do you realize what is happening? The Lord even now, as with this woman, is giving here. He's hearing your affliction. And he's finding you in your wilderness on your way to sure. Finding Hagar in her affliction. But then secondly, let's see how Jesus Christ brings good out of evil, not only by finding her in her affliction, but by subduing her in her rebellion. By subduing her in her rebellion. When the Lord Jesus appears to Hagar, what does he do? Does he invite her to tell him his story? Or to express how she feels? There is a place for us hearing the story of people. And hearing how they feel. But that's not what the Lord does here with this woman. Does he sympathise with her in the hard deal she's had in life? And there is a time and there is a place where we need as Christians to be able to get alongside people in the hard deals that they have in life. But the Lord doesn't do that here. Instead, he addresses her. I want you to look at verse 8, verse 9, verse 10 and verse 11, the very beginning of those verses, and we read the words, And he said, and the angel of the Lord said, four times. Four times. So when the Lord finds this woman, what does he do? He summons her to listen to him. He brings his word to bear upon her life. He addresses her before she is allowed to address him, as it were. In fact, the only time Hagar speaks in verses 7 to 12 is to answer the question the Lord puts to her. And so this woman has to listen to his word, first of all, and then, having listened to his word, she will have opportunity to respond and to speak to him. How does Jesus Christ bring good out of evil? By addressing us in his word. In the situations of our lives. And let's ask ourselves the question this morning. In our affliction 
Do we listen to the Lord? I'm not asking you here, do you listen expecting to hear some voice in your head or some word that is extraordinary? No, I'm talking about here, do we open the Scriptures? And as we read the Scriptures, do we listen to the Lord? And as the Scriptures are preached in our hearing, do we listen to the Lord? And should we not expect that if we are part of the church, that as we gather together on the Lord's day, that he will have a word for us in our situation. A word for you, a word for me, if we are in affliction. And that will be a word of instruction sometimes. How to respond to affliction. Maybe a word of comfort. It may be a word of encouragement. You've got to keep going in this affliction. But sometimes it will be a word of rebuke and correction. And the Lord will be saying to us, I want you to sit and I want you to listen and I want you to learn what you must do in this situation of affliction. So what is the tenor or the content of the Lord's word to this woman Hagar? Look at verse 8. And he said, Hagar, maid of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Notice those words that the Lord didn't need to put in, but he did put them in. Made of Sarai. And how those words must have grated on this woman. Made of Sarai. I want to forget about Sarai. I want to get her out of my hair and out of my mind and out of my life. And the Lord says, Hagar. Made of Sarai. Where have you come from? Where are you going. He reminds her that she's running, that she's fleeing from the place where God had put her. And whatever problems have arisen, whatever factors have contributed, she was and she still is in God's sight the servant of her uh, of Sarah, of Abraham and Sarah. And she needs to recognize that and accept that. And look at her response. Verse 8. From Sarai, my mistress. Again, she's constrained in responding to refer to this woman. And this would have been against her whole tenor of her, her desires and inclinations. From Sarai, my mistress, and then it is, I indeed am fleeing. There's an emphasis here that doesn't come out in our English versions. I indeed am fleeing. So do you see what's happening? The Lord, by his word, is subduing this woman in her rebellion. Are we subdued 
in our rebellion by the word. Even those of us who are Christians for years, we need continually to be subdued by the word of Christ. And he will put his finger continually on areas of our lives that are not right. And he'll say, I want you to sort this out. But then look at what he tells her to do. Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her. Verse 9. Go back to your mistress and submit yourself to her. He says, Hagar, stop rebelling. That's at the very heart of the problems in your life. Stop running away. The house of Abraham and Sarai is where you will experience grace and goodness. It's the only place known at this time where Christ is worshipped and served. It's like the church. What is our situation this morning in life? Is it hard? Is it difficult? Well, the Lord is saying to you, He's saying to me, I'm over it. I'm over it. It's a situation that I allow you to be in. And I will bring good out of it. And he says to you, and he says to me, return and submit. Stop running. Stop running from his church. Stop running from the place of grace. So what does he want us to do then? When he says, return and submit. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, he's saying, I want you to turn from your sin in repentance, confessing your sin. Because this word return is the literal word repent in the Bible. Or if you're here this morning as a Christian and you've been following afar off you're backslidden in some sense or another, then Christ says to you, return to me and submit. And this morning he says to us then, return to Abraham's house. Return to the church and submit. Because that is where we experience the goodness of God. So then we see the Lord bringing good out of evil as he finds Hagar in her affliction, as he subdues Hagar in her rebellion, and then thirdly, let's see, by including Hagar in his blessing. We're looking now at verses 10 and 11. By including Hagar in his blessing. Put yourself again in Hagar's shoes. This is the last thing this woman wants to hear. Return to Abraham and Sarai and submit to them. Are you saying, Lord, that I've got to go back to that place where there's so many memories and so much pain and so much rejection and where I've experienced abuse 
It's a very, very stark, a very difficult um, request or command that the Lord is bringing to bear upon this woman. But notice how as the Lord brings this command to her, he also promises blessing to her. You see, blessing comes when we return, when we repent, and when we submit to the Lord. When we return and submit to the situations that he's put us in, in life. That's what he, it's it's a blessing that he promises. And he sweetens, as it were, this very stark command with his promise of blessing. Look at verses uh, 10 uh, following. The angel added, I will so increase, or the Lord uh, added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. And then again the angel of the Lord said to her, You're now with child, you'll have a son, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. So there's the blessings. And you see, the Lord's promise of blessing, it makes the command doable. It makes the command desirable. It makes the command bearable. And that's still true for you and me today. The commands of Christ, the claims of Christ on our lives can seem very, very demanding, very overpowering. Take up your cross. Forsake father and mother to follow me. Seek first the kingdom of God. But alongside those commands then there comes gracious promises. Everything else will be added unto you. Forsake father and mother and you'll have more. You'll have family uh, in the church and you'll have, uh, God will bless you. It doesn't mean that we abandon our parents but he's saying put me first and I will give you family. So, he promises here to include Hagar in blessing. And let's just notice very quickly what the blessing will entail. She's going to go back to Abram's house. And what is she going to have in Abram's house? She's going to have food. She's going to have shelter. She's going to have protection. But not just that, she will have a son. And she's told in verse 11 that she's to name this son Ishmael, which means God hears. This woman's going back now with this assurance, whatever happens in the future, remember God hears you. My ear is inclined to you from this point on. And then verse 10, uh, the Lord says to her, and again I give you a literal translation, the angel of the Lord said, multiplying, I will multiply your descendants that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, where have we heard those words before? Those are the words that God has spoken already to Abraham. And so back in Abraham's house, this woman is going to have a blessing uh, that is a share of Abram's blessing. She's now going to be a stakeholder 
and Abram's blessing. So the Lord includes Hagar in his blessing. And this blessing will be hers in Abram's house. And as you and I, as we return to the Lord, and as we submit to the Lord, and as we gather in Abram's house, and remember Abram's house today is you and me gathering in the church, because that's the place where God's grace and goodness is experienced. The church is Abram's house. As we gather there, what are you promised? You're promised blessing. Blessing. The Lord says, this is where you'll get food. This is where you'll get shelter. This is where you'll find protection. This is where I will bless you and give you many, many brothers and sisters. People who love you. Many, many descendants. I will multiply your family in a way in which um, you can't imagine. And so, you and I today, Christ brings good out of evil. As he brings blessing into our lives, as we gather together in his church, and as we worship him. And so we're to gather with our families, together with other believing families, in worship, in fellowship, under teaching, in prayer, with the sacraments, so that we will experience God bringing good to us in the midst of evil that has come to us. There's one final thing that we want to note this morning. And we're going to have to be brief because our time is gone. Jesus Christ bringing good out of evil, accepting, accepting Hagar on her confession. And now we're looking at verses 13 to 15. I'm making no comment on verse 12 today because I commented on that last week. But verses 13 to 15. I said earlier that when the Lord finds Hagar, he addresses her and she has to listen. And the focus has been on the Lord up to this point and his dealings with Hagar. He finds her, he subdues her uh, 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 to himself and then he promises her blessing. And the initiative in her salvation and the initiative in any person's salvation always lies with Christ. It always lies with Christ. We don't find him. He finds us. Now I'm not saying by that, and don't misunderstand me, that salvation is forced on Hagar, or salvation is forced on you and me, and that there's not a response that we've got to make. There certainly is a response that we've got to make. And as the Lord calls us to himself, we either harden our hearts against him, and we resist the Holy Spirit, or else we yield our hearts, and we receive him. 
So which does Hagar do? And which will you do if you're not a Christian this morning? And which will you do if you're a Christian this morning who perhaps is far from the Lord today? Well, look at verses 13 and 14 where we have Hagar's response to Christ. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. I have now seen the one who sees me. What's that? It's her confession of Christ. I have now seen the one who has always seen me. Isn't that lovely? What a beautiful confession of faith. I've seen the Christ who saw me in my affliction, who appeared to me, who spoke to me, who subdued me, and I receive him. Then notice verse 14. This woman who has seen the Christ and believed in the Christ, she wants to witness to the Christ. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Well, who gave it that name? Well, she's the only one there. So if it's the name Beer Lahai Roy, and that means the well of the living one who sees me, the person who gave it that name was Hagar. And so she wants to leave a testimony behind her to Christ. And so she calls this well the well of the living one who sees me. What a beautiful combination here. This woman confesses Christ and this woman witnesses to Christ. Do you want to leave a witness to Christ, boys and girls at school, men and women at work, in the community, in your family? That's what a Christian will want to do. But then look at the verse 15. And with this we close. Here we see her also Obeying Christ, confessing Christ, witnessing to Christ, obeying Christ. Look at what she does. Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Well, how could Abram do that? Only if Hagar went back. And so she obeyed the voice of the Lord which said, Return and submit. And this is Hagar's confession, the response of faith. And so as Christ finds you and finds me this morning, in whatever situation you're in in your life, and I'm in in my life, and as he speaks to us this morning, and as he calls us this morning uh, to, uh, to return to him and submit to him, and as he promises you blessing this morning, what will your response be? Will you shrug your shoulders? And go out of church and say, well, that was an interesting sermon. Um, or will you, like this woman, confess Christ? I have now seen the one who sees me. Will you go home and bear witness to Christ? Tell of the blessing that you've experienced. And will you obey Christ in your life 
from this point on. This is how Jesus Christ brings good out of evil. And brings good into our lives that are sinful. As we confess him as our Saviour. As we obey him as our Lord. And as we witness to him in the world where he's put us. What a great Saviour we have. He brings good out of evil. Bringing this woman, who was not a Christian, to the point of faith and obedience through this awful situation. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we worship you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sent him into the world and caused him to appear to this woman, but then who also sent him in the flesh 2,000 years ago when he came through the womb of Mary and was born and lived as a man. We thank you that when Christ appeared to this woman, and when he appeared on the earth uh, through uh, his birth by Mary, that he came always, and both occasions, with a purpose of salvation. We thank you that he found this woman. And we thank you that during his earthly ministry, he found many men and women. He subdued this woman. And during his earthly ministry, he subdued many men and women. And we thank you that he blessed this woman. And during his earthly ministry, he blessed many men and women and boys and girls. We thank you that this woman confessed him and obeyed him and witnessed to him. We thank you that during his earthly ministry, many men, many women confessed him, obeyed him uh, and witnessed to him. We thank you that the same Christ confronts us today now from heaven, by his word and by his spirit. And we pray, Lord God, that as he appears to us today, not physically, but through the word and by the spirit, we pray that we, each one, would turn to him and submit to him, and that we, O Lord, would confess you, and that we would obey you, and that we would uh, witness to you, wherever you place us. Thank you that you bring good out of evil. The evil that we do and the evil that is done to us. And help us with those unresolved situations in our lives where perhaps there is still serious struggle and misery and suffering and affliction. Help us to believe that you will, even there too, bring good out of evil for your glory. And for our good and the salvation of others. In Jesus' name. Amen.